Hi friends, and welcome to Robcast 88. This one is called Seeds and Switches. I, uh, I had this experience recently that it so deeply affected me, and it wasn't just the experience, it was reflecting on the experience, what it reminded me and what it taught me about how we change and grow and mature as we sort of go along the path of life. And uh, so I have to tell you this story. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the power of the story for me is it, it reaffirmed the difference between seeds and switches. And uh, so, so I want to give you these two images, one of seeds and one of switches. And then I want to explore, I want to explore them historically and then I want to explore why I think they're so potent, so powerful for how you and I think about our lives right here and now um, today. So seeds and switches. And I got to tell you this whole story. But before I do that, I got to tell you some other stories because uh, I've been doing this tour, going to different cities each weekend. And this past weekend, we were in Austin, Austin, Texas. You know, I love traveling internationally. <laughs> uh, I love that joke. Um, and uh, we were at uh, Ironwood Hall, which is like sort of this club dance hall. I don't know what it was, but we've been doing these like pop-up living rooms where it's in the round and uh, or I guess it's more like a square and I'm in the middle and then we spend a whole day and we go through the ideas in my new book, which is called How to Be Here. And these events have seriously been, um, I can't even, I don't even know what to say about them, like a whole nother sort of uh way of doing things. It's just been amazing. Um, everything I had sort of hoped it could be. And uh, like an example would be yesterday in Austin, there's this fellow named Chris who lives in San Antonio. He's like a guru. He's just this amazing dude. And he leads this whole group of people who are in recovery. And during one of the breaks, he said, hey, you know, Christy, who you just met, who's in the front row, he says she's celebrating today a year clean and sober. Um, he says, so in, in recovery, you get a chip, uh, like a gold sort of chip um, I don't even know what it's made of, but uh, it's heavy. And uh, you get a one-year chip in recovery. And he said, so here's hers. Why don't you give it to her? So in front of the whole group, I just got to say, Christy, is it true that you're celebrating a year clean and sober? That's all I said in the whole room. And she's like, yes, the whole room just like went bonkers, like standing ovation. Um, the sort of energy and love, and so I got to give her a chip, and these are the sort of uh, people I get to meet, and we're all in this thing together, and everybody's doing it one day at a time, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, um, but just the amount of love at these events and the, the sense of people saying, hey, I'm not alone, um, and the number of you mentioning the interview with uh, Richard Rohr from a couple episodes ago. Oh, it's so fantastic. So fantastic. And the courage. So many of you, uh, the single mom in Austin who has uh, two girls and one of them has some serious special needs and, and her husband, the dad, just deserted the family and so she's on her own trying to make it work. The courage of some of you, the spinal fortitude to keep going. Um, and then some of you, like you're living on as little money as possible because you're saving money so that you can go travel. And some of you, um, like the, the changes that you're making and the things that you're doing 
so that your life won't pass you by, so that you won't just skim the surface of your own life. It's so inspiring. And then uh, in North Carolina, in the Durham event, there's a, uh, a, a man and his wife who drove to the event from Pennsylvania, and they sat in the front row. And then this woman sat two seats over from them, and he, they started chatting during the first break, like mid-morning. And this man starts chatting with this woman who he's sitting next to at my event, and they learn that they're relatives. <laughs> oh, you can't make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. Um, so we'll keep going. May 14th, Minneapolis. I think there's still a few uh, seats left for that. Then we'll be in Portland. Then in July, uh, we're going to Australia. So we'll take the How to Be Here experience to Australia. We'll do Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne. Then uh, in August, we're going to go to UK. And we'll do London on August 13th. Um, you can get all the info and tickets at robbell.com. And then um, this is what's really interesting. One of the cities, the event that we did, we did the event in the location that we did it because the lovely and talented Sarah emailed us at info at robbell.com and said, I run this venue. You should do the How to Be Here experience at the venue that I run. And just sorted it all out, and she was just brilliant. And that got me thinking, uh, because we're going to be in the UK, we're doing London on the 13th, but do you have a venue? Do you have a killer venue where we could put three or 400 people in the round? And... and uh, what do you got? And then we're uh, working on a fall leg, come back to the States and do um, uh, a second American leg in the fall of cities. And I thought, what if we open source this and invited you? Do you, um, those of you who are like, come to our city, uh, make your pitch. Seriously, info at robbell.com. Show us pictures of the venue. Um, show us what kind of deal you can give us and let's see what we can figure out. So um, let's, you know, add an, an open source element to this and let's see what happens, shall we? And then uh, this Friday night, I'll be at the last bookshop, which is this, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like something from Harry Potter. Um, it's this, it's one of my favorite bookshops, bookstores, although it's called the last bookshop and it's in downtown Los Angeles. I'll be doing a talk Q&A, signing, all that at 7 this Friday night. And then I'm doing my next uh, Largo show, May 17th, here in Los Angeles at Largo um, Comedy Music Club, which you know about from the last episode with Flannay. And then uh, this fall, I've rented the Improv, um, like the Improv, like the legendary comedy club. Um, I rented it for a whole series of events this fall. So one of them is for people in business, so whether healthcare, law, you're an entrepreneur, you're um, whatever it is that you do, um, I'm doing a two-day event for those about um, how to think about your heart, your soul, your mind, your life, and your work, and your family, and uh, finding meaning, and ambition, and balance, and pace, and all that. We're doing a two-day event. Um, it's called Finding Your Groove in Business, and then we're doing a two-day event, Finding Your Groove as a Spiritual Leader. So whether you're a volunteer, pastor, priest, whether you lead some sort of house movement thing, um, I'm doing a two-day event just on the unique challenges of spirit and joys of spiritual leadership. And then I'm doing one on communication, so finding your groove as a communicator. So whether you're a songwriter, blogger, writer, teacher, preacher, 
maybe you own a business and you give talks to your employees. Um, how do you get at this art of communication? Um, and I love talking about all these things. So um, on my website, it says finding your groove, and then we'll be at the improv, which is, I mean, the setting. Oh, man, those events. Yeah, so anyway, other than that, I've got some stuff going on. Anyway, now, here uh, is a story that I want to tell you about because I want to talk about seeds and switches. Uh, I had this experience a couple weeks ago that was unforgettable. Um, I was invited to speak at a federal prison. Um, the One of the chaplains there, this absolutely outstanding fellow named Luke, um, said that some people, some of the inmates, had been watching my films and had some, uh, like, burned CD copies of the Robcast. And he said, you, uh, why don't you come talk to them? And uh, so I did. And so I had to, like, you know, fill out this paperwork, and you have to, uh, you know, you give them your ID when you arrive at the prison and there's all this security and it's sort of have to go through this whole thing. And I, uh, I knew not to plan anything cause I knew whatever I planned to talk about, I would get there and the setting would be different. And I'd be like, well, I can't do that here. Um, so I didn't plan anything and we got there and we went through the main area of the prison and out into the a sort of open area and then over to where they have the religious meetings. And when I got there, the imam was leading um, the Muslim inmates in uh, a prayer service. And so we went into the side room, and there were um, some inmates there. And I got to meet them. There's probably five or six of them. They were, they were great. They were, like, totally engaged and funny. And um, I got to meet each of them and hear a bit of their story. And we were talking about all kinds of things. And I, it was what I had in my head, which is, oh, yeah, there'll be, like, like 10 or – I don't know, 12 dudes and we'll sit in a circle and I'll probably get to hear a bit more of their story and we'll chat about this, we'll chat about that and uh, we'll see where it goes. And um, I knew that I had two hours with the inmates. So I just pictured us sitting like in a circle, you know. But then the, uh, the imam got done and all the Muslim inmates, that service was over and there was this big room sort of across the hallway and all the guys that I was talking to immediately went in and started setting up chairs in this room. And then I discovered that that room actually had a partition and somebody opened up that partition and the big room became like much bigger. I think like maybe it doubled in size and they kept setting up chairs. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm gonna be talking to like, these dudes, but in a massive room with tons of chairs. I love their sort of optimism. But then <laughs> uh, inmates started arriving and started pouring in to this little hallway into the main room. And they kept setting up chairs and they kept coming. And in, I swear to you, five minutes, 10 minutes, there's like 200 inmates and it's packed. Like wall to wall, um, inmates in wheelchairs all along the back wall, just packed. And uh, so I sort of stood in the back watching all these guys come in. And then I was introduced and I walked to the front, and I had two hours. Um, and there was this moment as the room was filling up, like, I wonder how this is going to go. I wonder where we're all going to go together. I wonder 
what this experience is going to be like. Uh, you know that thing when you're almost like out of body, like, well, look at this. You have two hours with around 200 inmates in a big packed out room. Huh. We'll see where this goes. Uh, it was this very interesting, almost like slow motion. You know those experiences you have where things uh, reduce their speed and you're, you're taking it all in, almost like you're watching yourself take it all in. So I went to the front, and uh, I was like, I wonder where I should begin. And so I began, and I talked about Jesus' baptism and how John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus in the wilderness. And the first century Jewish world, wilderness is, a, it's like one of those details you just skim right over, but wilderness was a key word because wilderness was a place that hadn't been co-opted by any system, any religious, military, government, political system. Wilderness was a place that ha wasn't owned by anybody. And so the fact that John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus in the wilderness, he is essentially saying, you can have an experience of the divine outside of the religious, government, economic, military systems that are the dominant powers of their day. So they just did this whole thing on the, on the power of the wilderness. And that, that's actually a confrontational, subversive, that's the original Rage Against the Machine, is when you're out in the wilderness because you're in a place where it's just you and the divine and there's no other system in the way. And uh, <clears throat> that when Jesus is baptized, when Matthew tells the story, this divine voice, when Jesus comes up out of the water, says, this uh, is my son, with him I am well pleased. But Jesus hasn't done anything up to that moment. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't done any what they call miracles. He hasn't gathered any large crowds. And the reason why I love the story is the divine voice says, this is my boy. That's my version of it, by the way. This is my boy. Um, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. But it's prior to Jesus doing anything fantastic. And that there is this deep human longing to be validated by the divine. It's almost like this parental blessing that we're all searching for. This is my daughter. This is my son. And how many of us, you strove, you achieved, you worked so hard, you pushed yourself trying to earn something. Um, Think about how many movies are somebody unreconciled in their relationship to their parent. Um, and then I started walking through the inmates, like into the seats where they were, and just putting my hand on their shoulders and looking them in the eyes and saying, this is my son. With him, I am well pleased. This is my son. With him, I am well pleased. And I'm just going through them, putting hands on shoulders of different inmates. Um, and that when Jesus enters into the baptism waters and that comes out, it says spirit descends on him. And the word there, uh, if you look back in the Hebrew, it's the word of, it's like a word like of hovering, like a bird would hover. Um, and that what Matthew's doing there is there's a hint there to the Genesis 1 story because in Genesis 1, the Bible begins with an entering into the waters and then out of the waters bringing about a new creation. So that when 
the, the gospel writer Matthew tells a story about Jesus being baptized, entering in the water, and then coming out of the water with spirit hovering over him. He's essentially retelling the Genesis story. He's essentially saying there's a new creation happening here and that the Jesus story is about new creation. It's about the slate being wiped clean. It's about something new bursting forth right here in the midst of this one. It's about a new world right here in the midst of this old world. And that that's what we crave in spite of everything we've done, everywhere we've been, all the mess we've made of things. What we want to know is, can I begin again? Can there be a new creation with even me? And so in this one ancient story, you see so many human longings. And that Jesus story is about Jesus in his full humanity leading us into our full humanity. And so I'm walking through uh, in among the inmates, putting my hands on their shoulders. This is my son. With him, I am well pleased. And the gospel announcement is that however you've screwed it up, however you've wandered off the path, however far from home you have journeyed, whatever pain you have caused yourself or others, the gospel announcement is the divine blessing and acceptance and unconditional love and grace for you right here exactly where you are. And that law says you will be loved when you achieve, when you earn, and when you get it right. That's law. Gospel is the announcement that God is with you exactly and most ferociously in your moment when you most don't have it together that the divine is there with you exactly in the place where you're most aware of what a giant mess you've made of things. And then uh, I uh, was like, I wonder where we should go next. And so then uh, I started talking about quantum physics and energy and the power that you have. And they started asking questions about this. I says, as a human being, you're both dust and soul. You're spirit and bone. You are this extraordinary exotic cocktail, as I like to say, which by the way works, if you, especially if you're at a party and you say to somebody, you know, I'm an exotic cocktail. But as a human being, you're both this, this like sort of bag of bones and dust, and yet you also bear the divine image. The, the divine spark resides within you. And uh, I brought one of the inmates up and had him stand up front with me. And I said, what's your name? And he said, I'm Doug. And I said, okay, Doug. Doug, what do you want? And Doug looked at me and he said, I want to get out of here. I said, ah, yes, you want to be free. Okay. Now I said to all the other inmates, now let's do this. I want you to direct your energy your intention, your mind, your heart towards Doug's good, towards Doug's favor. So whatever that looks like, whatever you can muster up within you, I want you to wish, bless, intend, however you can direct your best goodness towards Doug so that Doug might flourish, so that Doug might be free. Let's take a moment, nothing weird here, but let's just take a moment, take a deep breath, and then just do that towards Doug. Just send your best to Doug. And so we had him just sit in silence and look at Doug. And they did it. This is the thing. They did it. And then after just like, like you know, 10 seconds, I said, now, Doug, 
how do you feel right now? And this guy, Doug, goes, oh, I feel so good. I feel so alive. And so, and I said, you know what that, you know what just happened is that's prayer. Prayer is when you direct all of your best and whatever word you want to use for it, heart, energies, intentions, mind, spirit, towards the well-being, towards the healing, flourishing, freedom of another. Yeah, and I said to all the inmates, look what you did just sitting there. Look at, because this guy Doug is like melting in front of all of these inmates who aren't the softest bunch. Is that safe to say? And later the chaplain was telling me how that a number of them are in for life for murder um, and all the sort of things that were present in that room that those gentlemen have been through. And yet they decide to, what do you call that? Prayer, bless, show favor, um, direct their best intentions towards one of their own. And the guy practically melts with the goodness in the room. Yeah, you have that. And so I talked to them, you have that sort of potential and power residing in your being. You can choose to forgive somebody. You can choose to make amends with somebody. You can choose to bless somebody. And who knows what good it might unleash. And then uh, we went over here. And then uh, they started asking even more questions, questions about the book of Revelation. Um, one guy had this great question. And then we went uh, all sorts of places from his question. And I found out later he was the head of the Wiccans in the prison. Apparently, they're like male witch groups. Um, but he was fantastic. He was so into it. And by the end, you would have loved it, Robcast people, because I had them all shouting, Teshuva. <laughs> I had them repeatedly shouting, Teshuva, and about how no matter how far you've wandered off the path, you can always come home. And there's that moment of revelation, that moment of enlightenment, that moment of insight, of insight when you realize, oh, I have wandered off the path and I can wander home. And they call that teshuva. They call that repentance. They call that returning. And it's both sometimes sorrow and sadness when you're owning your stuff and realizing uh, just what you're guilty of. But then there is also this sort of adrenalized exuberance of, I don't have to go back there. I can head in a new direction. I can return to the path. And uh, then eventually at the end of two hours, um, ending with them shouting Teshuva, we were done. And I got to stand in the back and shake their hands as they left and look them in the eyes. And they were so kind and grateful. And uh, it was just, uh, it was one of those, one of those experiences that I won't soon forget. And as I was reflecting on it over the next day or two, I thought, you know, 10 years ago, if I would have done that, I probably would have had a really, really detailed outline. I probably would have worked to make sure that I had two hours of ideas. Um, and I would have probably had a had a really like structured outline and my goal would have been to get through the outline with the very best I had. And that's good. And that's good because when you start out, I've been doing this about 25 years. When you start out, you realize some people have something to say and some people don't. And I want to be somebody who has something to say. 
So I committed my life to I am going to become the kind of person who has something to say. So I studied and read and worked. Um, but then what happens developmentally or what happened to me is you realize, oh, this isn't just about the brain. This isn't just about showing you average rainfall in Jericho over the past 2,000 years so that I can better understand that story. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not just about the intellect and the ideas and how much information you can amass, which is really important. It's about the kind of life that you're living. And I began to realize, oh, this, this good news, this gospel, this work that I do, this is about what is coming out of my being. The teaching isn't just information. That's just transmission. That's just the transmission of information. That's important because it's important to have done the work and have things to say. But this is about witnessing to that which has transformed you. And I began to go to therapy and I began to like realize the importance of my own interior journey. Um, and that led like Kristen and I to very distinct specific lifestyle choices about how we would live our lives because this thing it takes over your whole life. Um, what does good news look like? What does the reconciliation of all things, what does peace look like in every area of your life? Um, and so 10 years ago, I probably would have been much more focused on, I need to give these guys the best two-hour sermon ever. Um, and then secondly, as I thought about it, probably 10 years ago, especially 20 years ago, but 10 years ago, in my head the whole time would have been, what am I doing here? Do you know what I mean? Like, what am I doing here? I am a white boy who grew up in Okemos, Michigan. You know what I mean? What am I doing? Um, what am I doing? I don't have anything to say to these dudes. What can, what can I say? I haven't been arrested. Uh, I got caught sneaking into the dining hall in college because I'd forgotten my dining hall pass and I'd left it in my dining in my dorm room. Do you know what I mean? That's the level of criminal activity I've been involved in. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, how am I going to relate? What do I have to say to these people? Um, I don't have a story. You know what I mean? I, I, uh, so I had penny loafers in high school. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, how am I going to relate? Um, 10 years ago, I probably would have had the intellect in full, and I mean that in the positive sense. I got to give them just the best sermon they've ever heard. Probably also somewhere in there, 13%, 23%, 4%, I don't know, of my energy would have been, what am I doing here? The sort of, who are you to talk to them? Um, but that wasn't there a couple weeks ago when I was standing in the back watching all these guys file in. I didn't have, what am I doing here? I had, look at, I'm here. I didn't have, gee, I wonder how it's going to go. I had, I wonder how it's going to go. Do you know what I mean? There's, I wonder how it's going to go. I wonder if I'm going to bomb. I wonder if I'm going to fail. I wonder if they're going to like me. I wonder if I'm going to pull this off. There weren't those questions. There were, I wonder what's about to happen. The expectation of an encounter that would be much bigger than me and them. And that's what happened, at least for me. Um, and as I've reflected on it, like 25 years ago, I set out to be a spiritual teacher. Um, and there have been these different phases that were all good, but then there's these moments, and then there's your moments, whatever you set out to do or whoever you set out to be 
or whatever path it is that you're on, you just keep going. And then there are these moments when you see where you were and where you are now. Um, And these moments, we love the idea that it's a journey. It's a journey, man. It's a journey. It's not a destination. But there are moments along the journey when you see just how far you've come. And it's really, really, really powerful. And here's why I talk about this in terms of seeds and switches. Because in the ancient world, so many of the spiritual metaphors, and if you work through the scriptures, so many of the metaphors for the spiritual life are agricultural metaphors because people lived in agricultural settings. So planting, harvesting, seeds, uh, winter, spring, summer, fall, there is that expectation of planting. Then there is that quiet that comes post-planting when the seed is buried in the earth and nothing's happening. For something to grow, there has to be a seed that's planted. And for a seed to be planted, it gets buried in the earth. And for a while, you don't see anything. All you know is a seed has been planted. And if you keep watering it, or if the forces are aligned in the proper ways, hopefully at some point, something will come up out of the earth. So it's both the active work of digging a trench and putting the seed in, and it's the hard work and sweat, and then it's also the patience and hoping. And then there's wind, and there's animals that might get at the seeds, and there's sun, and enough sun, but not too much sun that dries everything out, and then enough rain, but not too much rain that it floods it or washes everything away. And so you think about our ancestors in agricultural settings, you were deeply attuned to how the very source of your life, your food, came from the earth, and the earth had its own timetable. And what you did is you did the work and you cultivated and you watched it carefully, but you also had an element of patience and hope and trust. And these agricultural metaphors, these were many of the dominant ways in which people understood the soul, spirit, growth, personal evolution, whatever language they used for it. There's this great line in the, in the book of James in the New Testament, humbly accept the word planted in you. That's so good. Yes, something's planted in you, receive it, and then let it take root, and it'll probably take a while for it to grow. Now, here's why I I use this image of seeds, because we grew up, you and I, we are children of a modern era. So think about the last, what, 300 years, you have the invention of the machine, which is a rather new phenomenon in human history, because with the the invention of the machine, it came around the same time as, uh, you think about Isaac Newton's Principia, which was this masterful, massive scientific volume that essentially laid out mechanical laws of physics, that creation, that the world, that the universe operates according to set laws. And so you had this growing awareness that there are laws to nature, but then you also at the same time had a mechanical view of the universe, and then you had actual mechanisms being invented. So turn a crank, pull a lever, push a button, 
watch a wheel spin, hook an engine up to this thing. And so you had the birth of the modern era brought with it a machine, and it brought with it the idea of a mechanism that when you push a button, pull a lever, turn a crank, you get an instantaneous result. By the way, it's with the birth of the machine that you have people start talking about instantaneous spiritual conversion. That's a relatively new idea. And with the explosion of machines and the centrality of machines, for many people, well then, I assume the soul works the same way, right? There's just four steps, and if you do them, you get this. But there's no switch when it comes to the soul. There is no switch when it comes to the soul. There are these moments of radical shift. There are moments when we wake up. Uh, but rarely suddenly does a human being become a totally different human being in the blink of an eye. Are you with me? Come on now. Are we preaching yet? Um, there's, <laughs> when it comes to the soul, you take a step and then you take another step. And then sometimes you take a step backwards <laughs> and then sometimes you take two or three steps backwards. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you turn around and you collect yourself and you dust yourself off and you get back on the path. When it comes to your heart, your soul, uh, your spirituality, your faith, your religion, whatever language you want to use for it, when it comes to who you are and who you're becoming, it's a lot more like seeds and a lot less like switches. Are you with me? And see, what happened for many people is we live in a culture of switches. There's got to be, how many of you, if your phone seizes up for like two seconds, you lose your mind? Or if your uh, e email isn't refreshing, if my email isn't refreshing like instantly, or if I send an email and it says still sending, still trying, I like kind of become insane. Anybody like that? Like the slightest delay, Netflix, that little circle is taking forever to load House of Cards. What the, come on, you know what I mean? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You didn't have a floating little untethered screen that plays you thousands of dollars of great shows 10 years ago, but now that you have it and it's not giving you that show instantly right now, we completely lose our minds. Um, at least I do. Uh, Think about how deeply this mechanistic view of the universe and machines, levers, and pulleys has affected the way we think about things. And can you see how because I can get in my car and drive within a minute to a place that I can walk in and I have every kind of food available right now and I can wash to the cash register, swipe my card, be back home eating that food almost instantly. There's a microwave that will even cook it faster, so fast it's even kind of frightening. Do you know what I'm saying? Can you see how this mechanistic switches, flip a switch, flip a switch, it's on, it's off. Can you see how this could leak, this could spill over into our understanding of the soul, spirit, and how we could end up really frustrated because I'm this person, but I want to be this person, so I should be able to flip a switch and just become that person. But it's probably better to think in terms of seeds. Humbly, what's that passage in James? Humbly accept 
the word planted in you. And the reason why I love that is there are these times when you become really frustrated with yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you come to the, you're, you're so at the end of your patience with how you are. You're, uh, you struggle with anger, despair. You have way too many negative thoughts. You don't want to be like that. You are so judgmental and you wish you weren't. You wish you would speak up in certain situations, but you don't because you don't have the courage to speak up. Other times you talk and you wish you wouldn't have, and it's like you put your foot in your mouth. It's like, I don't want to be that person. I, I want to be better. I want to be more whole. I want to be more healthy. I want to be more kind. I want to be more loving. That's the seed that gets planted. The seed, I think the seed is discontent and frustration. It begins with, I don't want to be like this. I, I want to be, be different. And actually, that's how we often grow. Or we see something in somebody else, or we see a situation where we wish we would, wish we would have been different, and we get a glimpse of something better. We think, I, I want to be like that. I want to live with less worry. You're around somebody who's just a non-anxious presence, and you think, I want to be like a non-anxious presence like them. So first off, a couple things about seeds. Number one, patience. The way that it works is it's a thousand small steps. And then you wake up one day and you realize just how far you've come. And the thousand small steps means sometimes you take a step to the right and sometimes you take a step to the left. And sometimes you take three steps backwards. And so you spend a bunch of energy just getting back to where you were and it's all part of it. So if you are, if you have a, like these outbursts of anger and you want to be a person who's less angry and you've gone a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months and then you have an outburst, that's all part of it. It's all part of it. Don't beat yourself up. It's a thousand small steps. And then there are these moments when you see just how far you've come. So one mantra that can be helpful is this may take a while. That's it. This may take a while. Um, whatever it is that you want to become, this may take a while. Uh, I tell you that story about the prison because I got into this 25 years ago because I preached my first sermon and I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Even if I was terrible at it, this would get me out of bed in the morning. This would be a life that I could live with great joy. Um, and it's beaten me up in a thousand ways. It's also been better than I could ever could have imagined. Um, but I'm 25 years into this and more alive and more humbled by it and more curious to see what's next. And this past weekend in Austin, I learned a bunch of new things about who we are and how to communicate better and how people respond to things and how I could tweak this and how I could turn that. It's like this craft and it takes a while. It takes a while, and that's okay. And so whatever it is that you do, maybe you're raising a kid or a bunch of kids, and you're like, this is so much harder than I thought it would be. Um, it may take a while to figure out, or you had one kid who was a certain way, but your second kid is nothing like it. And you're like, oh my word, the, everything that worked with the first kid does not work with the second kid. This may take a while to figure out who this other kid is. It may take a while. Um, or maybe you're realizing that you have been skimming the surface of your own existence. 
just going through the motions. It's just laundry. It's just another meeting. It's just traffic. But you're realizing that there is a way to engage with the depth of your life so that it isn't just traffic, so that it isn't just another conversation with an annoying neighbor, so it isn't just another pile of laundry. But you're realizing you want to get at that depth. This may take a while. It may take a while. You may be learning a brand new way to see the world. Maybe you've been cut off from the depths of your own existence. Um, this may take a while. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, because then it allows you to celebrate, and we'll get to that in a second, the little bit of growth here and there wherever you find it. So first, patience. Second, uh, there are experts in these areas. <laughs> Uh, if you want to become more courageous, if you want to be more optimistic, if you want more imagination about what your life could be, if your marriage is is basically just like the lights are on when no one's home, uh, and you want a better marriage, uh, if you struggle with anger, maybe you're part of a family system that is really toxic and you know it, but you don't even know where to begin because you get around these people and you just fall back into the same old patterns and you're like, why do I always become this person that I don't even want to become when I'm around these people? Or maybe it's addiction or maybe it's despair or maybe whatever it is, there are experts in these areas. I remember when I learned this, it was like, it was like a revelation to me. Um, there is a body of work and insight and wisdom Whatever it is that you are most frustrated with about yourself, whatever it is you want to become, there are people who have extraordinary wisdom and insight and brilliance about that exact area, topic, uh, dimension of personal growth, whatever it is. Uh, there is somebody near you who can help. Um, and I'm absolutely sure of that. The first time I went to a therapist... And I brought in, I always say I would bring in my own a hairball, a hairball of doubt and fear and worry and questions and insecurity. I just brought in this giant hairball. The first time I sat down with a therapist and the therapist went, well, actually, there's a term for that. There is? Oh, yeah, there's a term for that. And there are two main ways that you can be free from that. I, 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 remember, I remember just being like, why did I do this earlier? Um, like maybe you're in a, you have somebody really toxic that you have to work with and you're endlessly trying to figure out how to have boundaries with them. There are experts. I mean, there, there are books about boundaries that have sold millions of copies for very good reasons um, because there are experts in how to build boundaries with toxic people. There are experts in family systems who you can talk for five minutes and they can say, let me guess, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da, and you can be like, no way, how'd you know? And they'd be like, because your family is pretty much like every other family. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Here's the thing. We become convinced that our rubbish and garbage and hairball is the only occurrence of this in the universe. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That somehow your fears and doubts and worries and insecures and addictions and all that are somehow unique to the universe. And that's the thing, all the ways that we're all screwed up, all the ways that you're making a mess of it, you aren't that original. <laughs> They're just not that original. Um, so whether it's 
a spiritual director, a priest, a rabbi, a therapist, a counselor, group therapy, why would you ever cut yourself off from wisdom, insight, and truth that could help you be more alive and have more joy and have a better life? Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that? Or books or podcasts or instructional films or whatever it is. There's like massive, literally everything you can think of that you're like, I want more of that is out there and you can do it. And so sometimes what happens is the seed gets planted, the dissatisfaction, the desire. Maybe it's a thing you're like, I don't want this in my life anymore. Or it's, I do want to be more like that. The seed gets planted and then you cultivate it. You water it. You are patient with it. You do the work. You do the work. Iyanla, my beloved friend, just says, do your work. Do the work. Do the work. Um, so those people that you know who seem to be thriving, they did the work. That's how it works. Um, and then patience, directing your intentions towards becoming a new kind of person in a particular area. And then here's the thing, and, and here's uh, what happened to me, is you acknowledge and you affirm and you celebrate movement whenever and wherever you see it. So if you would have said something really nasty and flippant to your brother-in-law, because you always do when he's acting like he's acting, but this time you didn't, you actually held your tongue, then celebrate that and note it. Note it. Because often what happens is we're beating ourselves up because we're not yet at the place that we want to be. But what we miss out on is all the little steps that we have been taking. If you're trying to forgive somebody and tomorrow you hate them a little less than today, you may be like, yeah, but I haven't forgiven them. Yes, but you hated them a little less. How do you think forgiveness works? Forgiveness works sometimes is you hate them a little less for three years in a row, and then eventually one day you realize that you don't hate them anymore. And then three years later, you realize you actually have some good in your heart towards them. Sometimes it takes six years. This may take a while. And the reason why I say this may take a while and the reason why you affirm and celebrate movement is not to be discouraging, like, oh, I don't know, it's going to take forever. It's just to be realistic and to create actually some room where you might have a little joy because the joy comes from movement. The joy doesn't come from, oh, my word, you finally arrived. The joy comes when you realize, oh, my word, I've actually traveled some distance here. And that's why I tell you about standing there at the prison, shaking hands with those inmates. I haven't even begun. Arrival isn't even on the map. That isn't even interesting. Arrival actually to me is boring. What's interesting to me is these moments when you realize, oh, 10 years ago, I would have done this so differently. And that would have been fine because that's where I was. You don't beat yourself up over where you were, but you do celebrate and affirm, wow, wow, we're, we're on a path here. And it's a couple steps forward, some steps back, a couple more steps forward. And that's a life. That's how it works. That's how you plant some seeds. So 
Is anybody listening and you are trapped in a switches culture that tells you, hey, you can have a different body in 90 days. Um, hey, you can have a completely new kitchen in 10 days. You live in a world of switches. It's a beautiful modern world where we have hospitals and we have airports and we have 10,000 songs in our pockets and we no longer have to worry about polio. This modern world of switches and mechanisms and pulleys and buttons and binaries and codes and computers and RAM and storage and hard drives and software, it has made this extraordinary modern world which we celebrate. But are you living in a world of switches where you flip, simply flip the switch and it's on or it's off, but you have a soul and the soul, your spirit, your being works a bit more like seeds or something gets planted and then it grows and it grows. And by the way, sometimes you plant the seed and the earth covers it and you don't see anything for a while. So part of seeds and part of growth and part of planting is sometimes it doesn't feel like you're getting any results. And it's not because you're not getting any results. It's because a seed has to be fully buried. It has to go way down in there for it to come back up with new life. So maybe you're like, I know, I want to become this new person. I, I've Yes, I've got, uh, I'm dissatisfied with all the right things. I'm setting my intentions, but I'm not getting the, it's okay, it's okay. Krist, I was just telling Kristen this morning before I recorded this what I was gonna be talking about, and she had just been listening to David White, the poet, who talked about, a, I think he called it a season of hiding, and that sometimes there's a hiding that happens before there's a revealing. Uh, sometimes the seed has to be fully buried, and it's quiet and you don't see anything, and you're like, what am I doing? There's no progress here. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm not, but it's actually all part of it. It's actually all part of it. There may be years when you think, I haven't made any improvement. I'm exactly who I was. I'm not any better at this. And then all of a sudden, one day, you find yourself in the back of a big room at a prison, shaking hands, going, hey, I think we've made some progress. <laughs> We sort of stumbled into a little progress here. And you celebrate it. You celebrate it. You humbly accept the seed that has been planted within you. My brothers and sisters, may you come to see your life more like seeds than switches. May you celebrate all the achievements of the modern world, but may you remember that there really isn't a switch with the soul. There are moments of epiphany. There are moments of revelation. There are moments when you cross over from one mode to another. There are these moments when you go, I'm never doing that again. There are those, but, but growth, actual sustained growth, encourage, compassion, love, generosity, spinal fortitude, actual growth you don't buy on a shelf in a store. You till the earth, you put that seed in, you water it, you watch it, and then gradually it begins to grow. But it's the real thing. It's organic, it's authentic, and it's you and it's your life. May you, my brothers and sisters, humbly accept the seeds that have planted within you and may you celebrate and affirm growth wherever you see it. And may grace and peace be with you.